Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Kellen, it's that time of year again. Uh, fall is upon us. I know you love the fall. I do. It's my favorite time of year. We talk about it all the time. I have talked in previous episodes in, in the Breaking Down Clouds podcast, I've talked about how I dread it. Um, I was actually told, I always said I had this sense of like foreboding in the fall and it's, it felt like winter was coming, you know, uh, Game of Thrones style. And someone reached out and, and was like, yeah, that's like an evolutionary thing that that we have is this feeling of like winter's coming. We need to be prepared. Like we need to have the food ready and whatever, right. Shelter and all that stuff. I just, this time of year, I'm always sick. And that's why I bring this up is because I'm probably going to be like sniffling and clearing my throat. And anyway, I'm, I'm I've got a cold. So there's that. Um, why do you love this time of year? Oh man. I don't see how you can not love this time of year. Like, it's not too hot like it is in the middle of summer. It's not super cold like it is in the winter. I mean, here I'm just gonna ha- I'm gonna have a something to say about every every good thing you're about to say. So this time of year, it is too freaking cold in the mornings. So you get all bundled up, and then by the afternoon, it's too hot, and so you're taking all the layers off. It's not just like a consistent temperature. That's perfect. You can be outside in a t-shirt most of the time. And it's like the air is just a little bit cool, a little bit crisp. You got the the leaves changing colors. It's beautiful. I'll give you that. Um, it's football season. I really enjoy football. I know you don't care a whole ton for football. Yeah. Um, I love like apple cider and just all of the fall things. Fall is a great time of year. Pumpkin spice lattes. Mm-hmm. Are you a pumpkin guy? I like, yeah, I like all the pumpkin stuff. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying. I'm, I am, I've thought about it. I've looked inwardly and I'm like, why do I hate it so much? I need to just get over it. Someone I heard recently say like to enjoy living here, you need to find something you like about all four seasons. So you always have something to look forward to instead of dread. But yeah, the getting sick, the kids bringing home every sickness from school and it starts up again. I don't like cold. So I know winter's coming. And anyway, summer used to be my favorite because I was out of school, right? Invalid, yeah. Like, but now it's just all year round, work, work, work. Right. I'm a spring guy. I like coming out of winter and seeing this like 
light at the end of the tunnel and then knowing that you've got like eight more months before you have to deal with it again. But well, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear us talk more about the seasons. <laughs> about weather. Um, okay. Kellen, I heard you once about a time. Um, and I think you've brought it up. I know you brought it up in the last podcast and you may have brought it up in this podcast as well. They're all kind of blurring for me now. Um, but I, I did hear you one time say something about if there was two different groups of people and you had to choose to be with one of them. Do you know, do you know what I'm getting at here? Yeah, I think exactly. I've said it a lot of times. So it makes sense yeah. that you're like, I don't know where you said it. Well, let's hear it again. Well, just this idea that group A, you've got a group of people that has a bunch of like gear and supplies, right? They're physically prepared, but they're not mentally resilient. Group B, they're not very physically prepared, but they're very mentally resilient. I would choose to team up with group B every time. I, I mean, it's just such a simple illustration, right? To think about the dichotomy and, and act as if that was one or the other. It's obviously not that. But the fact that you would choose the group that is mentally resilient but has nothing, in, you know, physically prepared is, is a big deal. And I agree with it because I'm the same way. Um, it goes to show – and maybe not everybody would agree with that, right? But I, I do think it, it goes to show that, um, man, mental resilience is so important. Not only is it important, but it is a huge strength to have going into collapse as things get worse. Yeah. And I, I would say going into anything like – just life in general, even if things are, are generally speaking pretty good, you need to be mentally resilient if you want to have a higher quality of life. Um, but especially with everything that we're talking about, like we anticipate so many difficulties in the future and, and people that cannot handle that from a mental standpoint, it's going to be particularly tough. It's going to be very challenging. And when we talk about, we're going to be talking about mental resilience um, you might hear us cross over and talking about emotional resilience. Uh, I know in some spheres, those terms are segregated and talked about separately. We're kind of just blurring it all together. Just that idea that you can handle things that come your way, right? And you, you can bounce back from adversity. Well, and I think, I don't, again, maybe not everyone would agree with this, but for me, when I think about the people I spend my time with, you can spend your time with somebody who has it all, but they just have like a terrible attitude or a bad outlook on things. They, you know, maybe they're just not, they're just not mentally tough, right? They make situations harder with their attitude. Um, or you can be around people who don't have it all, who have nothing, but are just genuinely happy people, right? And it's like, I know who I'd rather spend my time with the, the difference in, um, your resilience, your mental resilience, your attitude, those things, they, they make a huge difference in how people want to be around you. Right. In the fall, you probably hate being around me because I have a crappy attitude about the fall. Um, anyway, that's just a silly example, but I do think, I do think the way that you react to things around you when hard things happen how do you react to those things? Do you shut down? Do you run, right? Do you whine and cry about it? Do you figure it out, right? And then, so that's one side is the attitude side. And then the other side obviously is just overall mental health and your ability to cope with terribly hard things that happen. And I've always been fascinated by this. You know, all aspects of psychology have always been very interesting to me. But this area in particular to think like you could take two people, person A, they go through a divorce or their spouse dies and it's hard on them, but you know they end up being just fine. Person B goes through that same scenario and they are just completely crushed by it. Same thing with like person A, they can, they can have a certain level of physical pain or a physical like trial that they go through. And they can respond to it so much differently than person B who goes through that exact same thing. But almost any trial that you can think of, if, if it's like financial trials, if it's, if it's poverty, if it's actual like 
hunger, if you're suffering through property damage or, you know, anything you can think of, like a, a, a severe illness, you know, a, a critical injury, you see people that go through that same situation. And for one, it ends up being much harder on them than for another person. And so this whole idea, and we've talked about this in the past, but it's like your circumstances don't necessarily dictate your state of mind. There's something else going on. We've brought up that you might have, and, and you see it all the time, somebody who is living a life of complete luxury that has everything that they could really ever want, and yet they're just miserable. And then you take somebody else who, like from a comfort standpoint, from like a standard of living standpoint, they are struggling so bad, and yet they are cheerful and they're happy. And to think that, you know, our situations don't dictate our happiness, that there are other things involved there, that gives me a lot of hope. That tells me that there are things that we can do to be prepared to handle any situation that comes our way and come out of it better than if we hadn't prepared. Well said. Um, if you hear a buzzing, there is a fly that keeps landing on the microphone and is driving me insane. Um, so I agree with you. That also gives me a lot of hope. Just being able to actually think and internalize that idea that our circumstances don't drive our happiness, you know, you makes me realize that there are there are people who lived in the worst parts of history that were probably happier than a lot of people today, who you could argue are living in the best time in history, right, with technology and comfort and luxury and all of these things. And so it, it goes to say that as things get harder, that even through suffering in the future, there can there's still room for happiness and maybe even more than we're currently experiencing. As we free ourselves from so many of the things that that you know make life insufferable in so many ways today, um, you know, working a nine to five and and different things that people have complaints about society, you know, maybe there is room for um, being open to, to understanding that there's that we could be happier in the future uh, through hard things. But also just realizing that in the end, if circumstances don't dictate our happiness, figuring out what does and concentrating on those things. We can't fix our circumstances as a society. We can try and prepare for them. In this episode, talking about the mental preparedness, obviously the whole podcast is about every other every other type of way that we can prepare but it doesn't change the circumstance itself um, we need to focus on those other areas that do allow us or do drive our happiness yeah so let's talk about what those things are if if it's not our circumstances that dictate our happiness our well-being our, our mental and emotional state then what is it and um if you've listened to breaking down collapse and all the episodes that we have there, we've discussed this to some degree. We're going to dive a little bit deeper today and also talk about some other things. But one of the main things is purpose. So one example, Corey, I've brought up to you in the past is there might be somebody who works at a zoo and their whole job is just to walk around all day and shovel animal crap. Right. And that for that person, they might just love animals and they think, man, what I'm doing is so meaningful. Like I am, I'm helping keep things clean for them, helping them stay healthier. Like what could be a better job than what I'm doing here? They find all this purpose in that work and they feel very fulfilled. Somebody else might think like to walk around all day and have to shovel animal crap is like the worst way you could spend your time. And they would just be miserable doing that. So same situation. And yet one can find purpose and therefore find so much more fulfillment. Um, when it comes to finding meaning in life, there are a few different aspects of it. This has been kind of documented and categorized in different ways. There's significance, purpose, coherence, belonging. We don't need to dive into all of those, um, in detail, but, uh, the, the point is whatever situation you are in now, and whatever situation you um, anticipate for the future, if you can identify a purpose in that that is meaningful for you, that will fuel you far beyond almost anything else you could do. 
Yeah, and one one reason I really like that idea is again going back to what I just kind of mentioned. A lot of people feel a lack of purpose today. I think um, we fill our time with so much just busyness, you know, work and and anyway, there might be a lot of stuff that we feel like we do just because we kind of have to, and and they still might be things that we enjoy doing, um, but it might it might be a lack of purpose that causes so much of that unhappiness. And when you dive into community, right, whether or not we are experiencing the worst of collapse at any given time, if you can dive into community and really have this purpose of wanting to make your community better, right? Um, I think that can drive a lot of purpose and, and help out with, with your mental health. Yeah. It's almost like a, we, we've talked in the past about kind of this target, you know, where you're at the center and then your closest family and friends and then your broader network, you know, as you, as you move out, the target rings, um, you can look at community that way, but also when it comes to just how you operate as a person at the center is like the why, why you do what you do. And then that dictates the what, and then, you know, you move on to the how of what you do. But it all comes back to that why, that purpose. If your day job is miserable, that's one thing. But there are people who can take a miserable day job and say, like, I'm I'm doing this because, like, I'm creating financial freedom for myself in the future. And they dream about what that's going to look like. Or I'm doing this because of these people that I love that I'm supporting. I've got my family that I'm taking care of. And they tie that purpose to it, and that makes any of the challenges of their day job that much more more bearable. Nice. So we've talked about the you know gratitude, finding ways to be grateful for what you do have. We've talked about service um, in the past, and and finding ways to help others and make it a, about more than just you. We've talked about humor and how humor can be such a meaningful tool to lighten the load and help you enjoy things a little bit more. Um, these are all things that we've discussed in the past. If you want to dive into some of that deeper, go listen to the, the episodes on coping and mental resilience in our Breaking Down Collapse podcast. Here today, I think it's worth talking about it at a deeper level in a couple of different ways. Um, number one, how do you deal with the anxiety about what you anticipate for the future? So uh, right now, if you are listening to all of this and you made it this far in the podcast, it's probably because you anticipate challenges. You want to be prepared for either just one-off events like a natural disaster or for like the broader scenario to just get worse and worse. Either way, that's not really a fun thing to think like there are going to be uh, real issues in the future and that can cause a lot of anxiety. So how, how in the here and now do you deal with that anxiety and keep a lid on that? But then also when those challenges do hit, how in those moments that are particularly challenging, do you deal with it at that time? So there are two different types of mental resilience that we're going to talk about. And I think it's good to distinguish the two. For sure. I think there's a lot of people who think that they hear mental resilience or about mental health and they might think, I don't need to listen to this episode or I don't need to concentrate on this because I haven't experienced mental health issues and I feel like I have great mental health. And yeah, like when I experience hard things in life, it's not that hard for me, you know, and, and they just don't give it a lot of thought. Um, but I do think like most of us have not experienced collapse. We haven't experienced what it will be like. And I think a coping mechanism that many of us have is to is when we think about it to not think about it in its true form and what it will really be like we think about it in this like we're the hero of the story and like we'll make it through but when you actually consider um some of the just the darker things that are involved with collapse the loss of loved ones you know the suffering and and the physical pains that you might experience and watching other people experience, um, their suffering. And anyway, there's just, there's just so many things, um, that, that 
when you really think about what it might be like, you may feel disconnected from those things. But in the moment uh, when they are happening, are you prepared for that? Are you truly prepared for that? And I don't say that to like bring more fear into the conversation. I just say it for the people who think that mental resilience isn't um, important or not applicable to them. I think maybe you haven't thought enough about what the future is going to be like and what you might have to deal with. Um, and just like we need to prepare in every other way, we need to prepare to have, um, you know, some of these mental strength, mental toughness, sort of coping procedures, mechanisms in our back pocket, just so that just like we have a first aid kit, we can pull, pull out to help us when we need it physically. We have these, uh, these ideas ready for when we need them mentally. And I think taking some time, like you're saying, to think through just how challenging things are likely going to be is uh, there's a balance there, like you said. Right. But it makes me think of the Stockdale paradox that we've talked about in the past. Um, I think it's James Stockdale, prisoner of war. Uh, a lot of people in the same situation as him didn't make it. Long story short, he gets out. He gets interviewed later on. Um He's asked, like, you know, who didn't make it? And he talked about, oh, it was, it was the optimists, the people who thought we'd be out by Christmas and they thought we'd be out by Easter. And that that came, that time came and went and um, they just kind of gave up. And he talked about how you have to balance. It's a paradox because you have to maintain this faith that you will prevail in the end with, like, being able to also recognize the harsh realities of the situation that you're in. So... On the one hand, you don't want to just fall into ultimate despair thinking, oh, things are going to be so hard in the future. But you also want to know what what the reality is, what things are going to look like. Yeah. Balance that realism with the optimism. Yeah. And uh, when I when I mentioned that, that mental exercise perhaps to go through, that's not for people who already are anxious about the future, right? Um, if you already are have anxiety about what collapse is going to be like, you don't need to sit and think about every little thing that could happen. Uh, I bring that up more for somebody who thinks that they're above it, right? That thinks that, that they don't need any help mentally. I just, I just, yeah, I think it's important to just say, really consider if that's your case, if that's your thought process, are you actually prepared? And if you really think you are, then okay, maybe you don't need to. Um, but I just, yeah, the tough times are are going to hit people hard, especially those who think that they don't need it. Um, I love the Stockdale paradox. It just, I feel like it exemplifies how I think about things. Something about confronting the harsh reality of your current circumstances is so refreshing because so many people try and avoid them. But if you can look at your situation and put it all out on the table and say, this is what's happening. I accept that this is what's going on. And, and then you can really make plans for what you can do to change it or what you can do to change your perception of it and, and so many different things. But if you run from the reality by being, this isn't to talk down on optimists, right? And there's, there's a certain type of optimism that is good. But if, if you're, if you just come up with an answer for everything and just say, everything will work out, I'm sure it's going to be fine without confronting the reality of what's happening that is not that's not a good way to prepare both physically or mentally the people who typically are saying that are not the ones listening to this type of podcast trying to prepare for the future because they think the future will be prepared for them yeah right you can have that faith in yourself that you will prevail in the end because you are doing what you need to to be prepared um because you are actually looking realistically at what you need to be preparing for. You're facing that harsh reality. Yeah, and I think that ties in really well with a, a couple of things that we're going to mention here. So um, as we've pulled together all these different uh, concepts, ideas, philosophies that are out there on mental resilience, things that we've noticed ourselves, um, let's talk through there are six items here. So the first we already mentioned, which is purpose. You've got to identify what your why is, what your purpose is, what do you care about, right? And use that to fuel you for like um, anything that comes your way or any any preparations that you're trying to do now. You're saying, here's why I'm doing it. And that's going to be your North Star. 
Um, the second thing is then making resilience and particularly mental resilience a part of your identity. And to be able to just claim like, this is who I am. Uh, I can handle hard things. If something comes my way, like I'm going to roll with the punches. I, I change for breakfast, right? Or I, I, you know, I can handle challenges no matter what. And as you make that part of your identity, um, the moment that a challenge arrives, it's not going to be this, you know, earth shattering thing that leaves you trying to pick up the pieces. And on that one, if I can jump in, I, I feel like it's, it can be a bit of a fake it till you make it. Um, you know, I remember I used to tell myself, I love change. I can handle change, you know, all the time. And even though maybe I wasn't the best at it, but I do feel like the more you tell yourself, I can do change, right? Or I can do hard things. I can face difficult times, whatever. Like I can be happy no matter what. The more you say it, the more true it's going to be, even if at the first you don't necessarily believe it. But if you can look yourself in the eye and say, I can handle change and then change comes your way and you remind yourself that like I can handle change, then you handle it. And then the next time you tell yourself you can handle change, you believe it because you handled some change, right? And then you start building sort of this repertoire, a portfolio of change that you can handle until you, it's a real conviction that you have and it's, it's backed by experience. So even if you feel like, man, I'm the type of person that like, I don't handle change very well, or, or I don't react well in hard situations, flip that, start telling yourself that you do, and then demand it of yourself and you will. Yeah. Yeah. On the one hand, it's kind of an affirmation. You're just trying to get that into your brain. Um, on the other hand, like you said, it builds confidence as you look at the experience. So uh, if you take a look back at your life, you might say, I've been through hard things. I, you know, I broke my arm when I was 10 years old and I got picked on, you know, when I was 15 and, and then, you know, my parents got divorced when I was, you know, 18 or whatever. And you step through and you're like, I have been through hard things and sure they left their scars, but like I can handle, if I had to go through any of those things again, I'd be able to do it. Um, so like you said, that, that continues to build that confidence that's part of like your resume, your repertoire that you can carry with you going forward. So if you've got the purpose, you know your why, you've built this identity around, yes, I can handle hard things. Um, from there, it's a matter of taking ownership. And there's this concept of even extreme ownership where whatever happens around you, you're saying like, here's my part in that. Here's what I'm taking ownership for. And the opposite of this would be like a victim mindset. So that's where people often find themselves in trouble when a challenge comes their way is they're like, why is this happening to me? This, this terrible thing that's happening to me, that's outside of my control. And they, it's like this whole, like, woe is me. I'm just going to despair. But if instead of focusing on things happening to you, instead you, sh you flip the script and say like, here is what I am doing. Here's what's within my control. I'm going to focus on what's within my control. Suddenly that, that makes your circumstances like empowering. I'm no longer a victim of what's happening to me. I am taking ownership of what I can do about it. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, excellent. Th- that goes back to um, our first episode of this podcast. Well, step one of the framework of this podcast where we talked about what we kind of uh, wanted in the end, right? And I had said, I just want to feel like I had done everything. Because I do feel like if I feel like I have worked hard, I'm actively working hard to, to be resilient, then no matter what comes, like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna suffer, of course. I'm going to suffer anyway. But I do feel like I will feel a sense of calm. I already do feel a sense of calm saying I did what I could and that sometimes that just has to be enough. Yeah, and it gives you this this confidence and reassurance for the future just to know like, hey, I did my part. But it's also as things happen to you a way uh, that you can really deal with it in a more empowering form. So let's say let's say you have a vehicle and your vehicle breaks down. You have to pay to get that repaired. And so now you're out of money. Um, that, I don't know why that came to mind as an example. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you might say to yourself, like, man, I like I don't have any money and life is so hard. And it all was because my stupid car broke down. Um, somebody else might be able to say, like, I don't have any money. Because I didn't prepare well enough for this. Like, this is my fault. Yeah, bad things happen, whatever. But, like, I I should have prepared a little bit more for a rainy day. And I would have been just fine right now. So, what am I going to do about it now? I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And, and again, it, there's just something really powerful about saying, I'm. yes, yes, there are things outside of your control. But this extreme ownership, whatever happens around me, here's my part in that. And I think there's an important distinction there. When you say this is my fault, that this has happened. It's not in like a self deprecating way, right? It, that's more of a victim mentality. Again, if you're going to say, Oh, well, I'm just stupid and I hate myself for, for letting myself get to this point, right? That's not a healthy way to approach it. You can say it's my fault logically here's why i should have paid more attention i should have saved up for a rainy day i didn't get oil changes frequently enough on my vehicle i didn't take it in when i first heard the rattling sound you know like you can look at what you did or didn't do right and then you you have to use that to grow and change so you're stronger for the next time right okay now i realize i've made this mistake i need to start saving for a rainy day for the next one because there will be a next one if you have the victim mentality you're not going to start thinking, I need to start saving up for the next time this happens. You're just going to be sitting there pouting, thinking about why the universe hates you so much and who's going to come to your rescue and that type of thing. So it's a huge difference. And yes, the people who will suffer most through collapse are people with a victim mentality for sure. Absolutely. And there has been a lot of research done on resilience. And there's an aspect of it that's really interesting. You hear all the time about post-traumatic stress right? And, and PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And that's a real thing. And like for people that have been through really traumatic events, I definitely like my sympathies are there for them. Um, but there's also something that is now being coined as post-traumatic growth. And there's this emerging research that is showing like oftentimes people who find the most meaning in life or or who are the most resilient or the most fulfilled in life, it's because they've been through really challenging things that helped them to grow. But what makes the difference between whether you're going to have like post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic growth in the long term? Oftentimes it's that victim mentality. It's that, it's that victim versus ownership. It's that like the universe is picking on me versus, Hey, this, you know, Bad things happen to everybody, and here's what I'm going to do about it. Nice. And I'm, that's not to say that people with PTSD have victim mentalities or anything like that. No. Right? There's tons of things that happen and that go on out there that, that cause PTSD 
legitimately for sure. Um, and anyone who has gone through that should definitely seek, you know, help for that. And I hope that they are able to, but there are certain things that we just, the attitude that we approach them with, it will make a difference for how we grow or don't grow from them. Yeah. And one quick caveat there that I'm, I'm glad you made that comment because I've been through some severe mental health challenges, um, you know, and depression, anxiety, PTSD, whatever it is that somebody might be dealing with. Like we're not trying to bag on that. We're not saying that somebody is a bad person or that they aren't a strong person or whatever, if they have struggled with those things, um, those are realities and they should be handled in the right way. Uh, that's just something to keep in mind as we go through the rest of this. Yeah. Okay. So you've got your purpose. You form this identity around your mental resilience. Uh, you take ownership instead of being a victim. And then there's a tactic here that's a little bit counterintuitive, but it's actually stepping through the worst case scenario and carrying it all the way through till the end. So my son, um, he was dealing with some anxiety and we, you know, we were trying to find ways to help him. We worked with a therapist that, you know, gave some good ideas and we saw some huge improvements and it came from instead of just letting him have like a kind of nebulous fear, actually getting to the end of the road there. So as an example, let's say, Corey, you were feeling a bunch of anxiety about like a, a flight on a plane. Um, which I frequently do. Oh, good. I hate flying. Then this is a good example. Yeah. So you might say like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to fly on a plane. And I would say, why? Um, because it's really high up in the air. Okay. So, uh, if you're really high up in the air in a plane, why is that a bad thing? Cause it, could stop being really high up in the air really fast. <laughs> so you're worried it could crash. It could crash. Yeah. Okay. If it crashes, what's going to happen? I would die. You might. Right. Likely. Yeah. Okay. So if you die, what's going to happen? I mean, that would be, that'd be it. Like for me, I wouldn't suffer anymore, I suppose. Yeah. So, you know, depending on your belief system or whatever, you might just say like, well, then my life is over and that's it. And I don't exist anymore. And it's like, okay. So what then? Like we all do it. Yeah. It's going to happen at some point. Yeah. Like, so what, so what happens then if you're dead and you might say, well, then, then I don't exist anymore. And it's like, okay, then you're not going to feel any pain or suffering. Right. Like, it'd be really scary for those like three minutes that you're falling or whatever. For sure. Yeah. It would definitely be scary then. Right. Or you might say like, you know, maybe, maybe you believe there is life after death and we would talk through, okay, so then what's going to happen after and what's going to happen after that? And this can be the case in the most extreme examples like that, or even something more subtle. Let me give you another example. My brother, he used to get all this anxiety around school and it got to the point when he was going through college that he was like, he could hardly handle it. He was so overwhelmed. And, uh, he got to a point where he figured out how to deal with that. And then he was fine from then on. And later I said, what changed? How did you find a way to cope with this? And he's like, I would just tell myself seven 11. I was like, seven 11. What does that have to do with anything? And he said, well, I just thought, you know, if I don't do well on this test, what's going to happen? Well, I might, that might mean that like I fail the class and what happens if I fail the class? Well, maybe that means like I'd, I'm not able to get my degree. And what if I, I can't get a degree? Well, then maybe I can't get the job that I want. Maybe I won't get a good job. Maybe I can't find a job anywhere. Maybe the only place that would hire me is like a Seven Eleven gas station. And he's like, I realized if that happened, I could work at 7-Eleven and still choose to be happy. So every time he'd start to get stressed about stuff, he would just tell himself like 7-Eleven, like I could work at 7-Eleven and still be happy. So 
just again stepping through and and letting your fear actually be realized to a certain degree and say what is it i'm afraid of and what is actually going to happen and somebody might say like i am scared if a natural disaster comes that there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering and it's like well okay talk me through it what do you expect would take place oh well there wouldn't be food and i, I wouldn't be able to I'd go to the pantry and it would be empty and I'd go to the grocery store and there wouldn't be food. Okay, so then what happens? Well, then I'm really hungry. Okay, how long would that last? Well, if there's no food, then it would last for, man, you know, three, three, four days and then I'd die. Okay, so what you're telling me is like you are spinning out because there might be in a whole lifetime, three or four days that you'd have to suffer with extreme hunger. I mean, you'd last a lot longer without food, but water, sure. Yeah. Anyways, I, I, we don't need to like belabor this too much, but yeah. you get the idea for sure. And I, I mean, I we've talked about this before. I think in a previous episode, I, I remember having a similar conversation, and I don't remember if I said this part or not, but I'm thinking about it now, so I'm going to say it. I've realized that I've used this a lot in life, but just automatically thinking, yeah, what what is what are you scared of? What, like your anxiety is coming from somewhere. Let's address it. What are you afraid of? And as a kid. I remember being really afraid of the dark and being afraid at night to go to sleep. And I would just lay in bed and just like stare at the door because somebody was going to walk through that door. I don't know what they were going to do, like rob me or murder me. You know, I'm 10 years old. Why am I so scared of this? I don't know. But I remember the only thing that could get me to fall asleep was to just go to force myself to turn away from the door, look at the wall and just say, if they're going to kill you, they're going to kill you. Like, I can't defend myself anyway. Looking at the door isn't going to help. What am I going to do if I see him coming? Like, it's not going to stop them. So I don't need to see him coming. Hmm. I can just turn my back and, and let him take me, you know? And it's like, I, that's not to say that you shouldn't, that's not to say you should bury your head in the sand about your problems. But it is to say that, like, if there is something that's outside of your control, there's no use in continuing to turn it in your head and lose sleep over it. Um, there are certain things that we can prepare for, certain things that we can't. And if you can just address what it is you're really scared of um, and then decide whether or not it's something you can change or not. For the person who was really scared of a natural disaster because they think that there might not be any food, well, you can address that, right? That's the whole idea of preparation. Um, anyway, so yeah, just a couple of different ways to think about it, but it definitely it's something that I feel is has worked for me in the past. And I love, as you described that, really it goes back to some of those previous steps that we mentioned, like taking ownership for the things that you are in control of, letting go of the things that you're not. Also, if somebody is saying like, may, maybe it's not that they feel like they would starve after a handful of days of no food. Maybe they feel like there's going to be a decade of them barely getting by. But if they've, they've, follow that step of building an identity of doing hard things. It's like, okay, can you do a decade of things being really tight? Things being really tough. Can you handle things get gradually getting worse? And if, if that's part of their identity, it's like, yeah, yeah, it is. It's not like I want to do that, but I'll find a way. Right. Okay. So purpose, identity, ownership, um, stepping through worst case scenarios and then practice. And this comes by way of like building up endurance. Um, if I, like at one point I got into running and, and running long distances and yeah, if like running a marathon, if you haven't run at all, it might kill you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you can build up to that. So those things that you might be particularly afraid of, maybe it is not having enough food. Well, try going a day without food, like stretch yourself that far. And, and, you know, maybe you're not able to do that. Um, cause you're not used to that. Maybe you start with eight hours of, I'm not going to eat for eight hours. You build that confidence. Hey, I can do hard things. Next time I'm going to try going for 15 hours. And the next time I'm going to go for a full 24 hours, right. Or, or whatever it is that if you're like, Oh, I'm just so scared of not having enough money. Well, say, hey, for a week, I'm going to spend like almost nothing and see how my life goes. Yeah. 
And, and you can take any one of those things and just practice doing the hard thing. Not only does that help build up your identity that you've formed of like, I can actually handle things when they're hard, but it also, um, builds up uh, an endurance. You build up the skill of handling the hard things as they happen. What's interesting is both of the items that you just mentioned, there's actually potential benefits that come from doing them, right? There's, uh, I don't know all the science behind it, but medically they say it, it can be healthy to have a 24 hour fast on a monthly basis. Um, like that gives your body some time to cleanse and rejuvenate and, and all sorts of stuff, right? Um, not spending, spending as little amount of money in a week as you can, obviously that's going to have some benefits, right? And you're going to realize I could live off of less and I should be saving more, you know, that's not to say that every exercise that you could go through in this would necessarily have a positive benefit, but I think that a lot of our fears we might find are actually positives for us if we allowed ourselves to experience them on a small scale. Like you said, they do build endurance and they also help us to understand what it is we're really preparing for. Um, you know, it, and, and, and how we should prioritize those things. We can figure out what is a real legitimate fear and something that I should fear. And what is something that I am just blowing out of proportion and realizing that now that I'm facing it head first. Yeah. It's so, it's so effective. And I've brought up the example to you in the past that even the idea of if you get a mosquito bite, try to go just one more minute without scratching it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, or, just that mental re resilience, self-control. Yeah. That self-control, um, being able to handle those things is really good. So all of that, it's like you could spend all day, every day doing hard things for the sake of doing hard things, but that's not really a fun way to live either. So there has to be a limit to it. And the balancing factor of that is our sixth item, which is just amusement, finding ways to have fun, finding ways to introduce play into whatever you're doing. And this one is really fascinating, the psychology of it. There's all sorts of benefits and there's all, all this proof that like you've got to do this if you want to have mental well-being, no matter what your situation is. But as you look back at times in history when people go were going through really difficult things, like terrible things, uh, the people who got through it were the people that found ways to play like you know, like prisoner of war torture camp or whatever um like even in terrible situations like that people in absolute poverty that are starving still finding ways to f have fun along the way and and that sounds so callous to say it like that and i don't want to minimize the challenges that people have gone through but it's a real thing there are real benefits on uh, to to step it back a little bit from anything so severe one example just recently um my brother-in-law and I were were trying to help my in-laws my parents-in-law to clean up their house um they hadn't dejunked their house in like 25 years and so there was a lot of stuff there and we were trying to figure out what stuff we could give away and what stuff you know, had to be thrown away. And, uh, we, we spent an entire day doing this and loading up stuff and carrying heavy things. And I was just exhausted. And at the end, there were some things that needed to, uh, be thrown away, needed to be taken to the landfill. Um, some of those items were like, it's funny to talk about it in this context because it was, food storage items, but that they hadn't used well, they had just forgotten about. Mm. So they had cans of tuna fish that were older than I am. <laughs> well, Kellen, in that, in our food storage episode, we talked about how, uh, expiration dates don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we had all of this stuff. I am exhausted and I'm ready to be done, but we had loaded it up. We had taken it uh, to the dump, to the landfill. And, I was really grateful for my brother-in-law because he picked up a can of this old tuna and he's like, I bet I can throw it through that, that piece of furniture that was a, a long ways off. 
<laughs> and you know he threw it and missed and i was like okay let me try and it turned into this thing where it took us like a whole hour to unload all this stuff but it became a game and it was just so much more enjoyable and like i i ended that day feeling great whereas i was on a trajectory to end that day feeling terrible and so um you know i think about I've been in places in the world you have as well, where there's extreme poverty and I've seen the way that kids will like make toys out of, you know, branches or whatever. And they'll find fun games. They'll come up with stuff. They'll use their imagination. And even though they're in a tough situation, life is so much better. We've got to remember that and find ways to, to introduce that amusement. Okay. So early on in the episode, we talked about how, there's, you know, reducing the anxiety now for things that might come in the future. Um, these steps are designed to help you with that. Uh, but they are also a way of preparing for when those things come. So if you have your purpose, your, your why identified now, you're going to be much better off thinking about what's going to happen, but also when those things happen. If you spend the time now creating that identity around who I am and how I handle hard things, like, you're going to feel so much more peace as you think about hard things in the future. But when those hard things do happen, you are going to be so much better prepared. Same thing goes for taking ownership, not being a victim. You know, uh, the worst case scenario, that's more like a reduce the anxiety now kind of thing. But using that to build endurance and practice the hard things makes it so that you're more prepared to handle the hard things then. And then again, the amusement, having fun along the way, it's so important to how we handle our stress now, but having that habit built will help you handle the stresses in the future. Well said. That's awesome. And look, we, we've talked about, we mentioned a caveat here. I think we should mention it again at the end. If you are suffering from a real, like a, from a mental illness, right? If you are dealing with severe anxiety, with depression, and, and there's a plethora of, of others in the list, right? Seek professional help right? We are not professionals. The things that we talked about here, they're not going to fix a chemical imbalance that you might have. You know, it is important to get on top of those things. That's not what today's episode is about, how, you know, how to cure depression. Um, but look into the options that are out there. I know, like, not everyone has the funds available to be able to see a therapist, right? Or to get medication, use the resources that you have and do seek out help where you can. Um, there are a lot of free resources out there as well. I think we'll do, I know we'll do episodes on the future more along those lines and what some of those resources are and how to take advantage of them. Um, but I just wanted to mention that here at the end. We're not trying to say that these steps are a cure-all for any mental illness, but they can help um, just in, you know, the general, um, mental resilience that we're trying to build as we get prepared for really hard times. 